0: Thank you, Natalie, for sharing with us your story and how many of us can relate to that. The the knowledge of actually knowing Christ personally, not being involved in a religion, so to speak, not being involved in just even the rituals that come out of our faith, come out of the teaching of Scripture, but that personal known relationship with Jesus and being in that relationship. And it changes us. And that change is not always easy which is one of the reasons I think God designed the church so that there is a community where typically you can find safety, where typically you can find the ability to grow and learn and experience your faith and your personal relationship with Jesus. And knowing that that community comes together not only to protect and, and as a safe place, but that community comes together to encourage that growth. And we look this morning at that community, again, actively evolved in sharing that hope that's found in Jesus, a compassion to go on their mission, a compassion to do the things that God's called them to do, a compassion to show the difference that's in their life as believers in Christ. And that begins to impact their community and ultimately their world. We looked last week in the book of Acts and we saw Luke's summary, we're already by chapter 9, the church had spread beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, beyond Samaria, it had moved outside of those geographic concentric circles and was moving to a global faith like it is today. And that call on our lives to let our compassion motivate us and take us where God wants us to go, what God wants us to do, to reach, obviously, those geographic concentric circles, that are immediately a part of our lives, but the myriad of other relationships that exist so that we have the opportunity to share our faith at school. We have the opportunity to share our faith on our job sites. We have our opportunity to share our faith in our communities, our neighborhoods, our apartment complexes. Wherever we go, we have the opportunity to share Christ. So in Acts chapter 4, we see that community actively growing and actively becoming a unified force where the gospel, the good news of Jesus is being shared regularly. And that good news is causing the church to expand. And it's also causing them at the same time to grow in their relationship. So we go all the way down to verse 23, verse 24, and we pick up the story as it takes place there. I'm going to pull a couple of excerpts out as Luke is describing the events that are taking place. Peter has just been arrested, he's been through trial, he's stepped away from trial, he's spoken up with boldness, and now the church, as Peter has been released, comes back together, and they begin to live out this new reality of the hope that's in their faith, and yet at times the conflict and contradictions that come up. In verse 24, referencing back to what Peter had experienced and the rest that had taken place and, and just the knowledge that there is now this unique community that also stands apart, much like Natalie described, stands apart and creates some conflict because light always conflicts with darkness. Light is victorious, but sometimes in the middle of the battle, it can be difficult. And they respond to that difficulty in verse 24. When they heard this, They raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. Interestingly enough, in their midst of potential insecurity, what they did was remind themselves of the truth that they knew, that God was the creator of all things that the relationship they now had with God the Father through Jesus, his son, and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and Jesus' resurrection and victory over death, that new relationship puts them in a new position of both authority and security. This is a tradition they would have known. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, O Lord God, You yourself made the heavens and the earth by your great power and without, with an outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. That's a good verse to remember. Saw Jeremiah 32 verse 17. Nothing is too difficult for you. You created all things. You designed all things. You actually worked and brought all things into existence. And it was by your great power that all of these things took place. It was by your outstretched arm. It was by your activity that everything came into existence. And knowing that greatness of your power and your authority reminds me that nothing's too difficult for you. I'm not going to face anything. I'm not going to deal with anything this week that is beyond the ability or the capability of God to handle. And so we revisit the sense of ownership. Psalms chapter 24, verse one, would have also been on their hearts and they would have been aware of it. Where the psalmist says, the Lord at the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Because as a new church, they were learning and they were understanding and they had listened to the teachings of Jesus that they were the stewards over the things that normally and typically they would interpret their strength. Normally or typically they would interpret their strength by maybe their physical prowess, their ability to compete in warfare. But yet now they know Jesus and they know that there's something even more significant than that. The apostle Paul will write of this later to the church at Corinth reminding them that we have authority and power and strength to tear down strongholds of evil with the message of hope that's in Christ and the light that radiates through us and out of us into the world. We're not dependent upon our own strength anymore. Revisiting that sense of ownership, that sense of who is in control, that sense of who everything belongs to allows us to reevaluate our strength. It allows us to reevaluate our identity because we now understand that we are the creation of God. We are not Happenstance. We are not just a spectacle of bouncing ions and atoms that come together in some random fashion. We're not the we're not the basis of Greek philosophy and myths and and, and gods who were just completely frivolous in their activities around the world. There was one solid God, one God who put everything into place, and He designed not only. Everything that I see in creation, but he designed me. My identity is rooted in that revisited picture of ownership. I am his. And of course, when we trust Christ, we become his in a whole new way because every wrong decision, every sin, every, every bad mistake, every difficult circumstance that shaped us and molded us and changed us away from the initial creative image of God, has now been redeemed, redone, so to speak, recreated, so to speak, in Jesus, and it just says the same thing again. I am his. My identity is as his. And what will play out in this passage of Scripture in a significant way is my identity, my strength based on what I own becomes revisited in this ownership because it's it's not mine. Nothing I have is mine. And that can be a bit difficult to process at times because I have to recognize, yes, I work hard for it. What I have, I've worked hard for. What I get out of my paycheck, I've worked hard for. I've put in long hours. I've endured difficult circumstances. I can come up with a long list, just like any other employee in the world, of things that were difficult and hard and made my resources so valuable to me. I could move outside of the employment and the hard work, the budgeting and the, and the tightening and, and all the things that have to be watched and designed and, and, and worked on and managed so that what I've earned can create and adjust with wealth so that there's that sense of prowess financially. But I have to, as a believer in Christ, acknowledge, no, it, it, it's actually not that. It's not mine. I may have done well. I was commissioned. God designed me. He gave me the ability to do well. And even in doing well, though, it is still his. He is the one in verse 24 that they're crying out to, who made the heavens, who made the earth, who made the sea, everything in them, which includes me, and it includes my wealth. The psalmist, every the earth and everything in it, the world and all of its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. We are positioned as managers. We are positioned as stewards and the resources we have. Whether those are physical resources and our physical strength, whether those are resources emotionally or even psychologically and our identity, whether it's resources literally financially in terms of stewardship and management of resources, it all belongs to the Lord. And the question then becomes, out of my compassion, How do I use that? How how do I work with that? And they are praying and they are now living a lifestyle that reflects that management. They go on and after they prayed in verse 31, it says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was on all of them. There's a recurring boldness that takes place in the believer's life. When we recognize, we revisit ownership and we recognize everything, including me, belongs to the Lord. And we make that decision to trust Jesus and let him lead, guide, and take care of our life, forgiving our sins and securing eternity for us. When we recognize it's all his, I'm his. And then it gives me the opportunity to, to let him move and work through me. And that's a recurring experience. When we trust in Jesus, and we saw this in the book of Acts, in Pentecost, the very first moment when the Holy Spirit comes and changes lives and comes to dwell and live, just like Jesus had promised back in the Gospel of John, that the Holy Spirit now comes and lives. It's God's presence in us and through us. That was that first moment in the day we asked Jesus into our hearts. The the moment Natalie said, yes, I am going to believe in Jesus. I'm not going to necessarily believe in the church. I'm not necessarily going to believe in the rituals of religion. I'm going to believe in Jesus specifically and personally. When she made that decision and she opened her heart, he came to live in her. And the way he does that is through the presence of the Holy Spirit in her life. But there will be other times. It is a one-time experience to meet. It is an ongoing experience, just like any other friendship, to grow deeper and to experience it with greater depth. And that's exactly what happened. Everybody who's involved in this particular prayer meeting, they have experienced the Holy Spirit. They know the Holy Spirit. They've just watched Peter preach with the power of the Holy Spirit convicting and dumbfounding the religious leaders who don't know what to do with the fact that through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, Peter has raised a cripple from the dead. They've seen all of that. But in this moment, they position themselves through their prayer to experience the Holy Spirit again. And as a result, we're told he's, the Holy Spirit fills them. And in that moment, boldness recurs. And they begin speaking the word of God with boldness. And the apostles begin teaching and sharing with boldness and with strength the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus. And great grace is in their moment. That call, that call that once we understand that we're his, then we understand that I need to constantly, in a real sense, in our digital world, to re-sync with him to have that recurring boldness take place. Because the decisions I make, once I understand that he's the owner of all things, those decisions then are the result of my ongoing relationship. So what I do with my physical strength is a result of how Jesus calls me and what he wants me to do with my life. Because this body literally becomes a temple. It becomes the dwelling place of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And we ought to put some concern about how we take care of his living quarters for this moment in season in time. That ability to understand who we are, that God is dwelling in us and our identity is in Christ. That moment is redefined and there's a boldness when we let him live in and through us because our ultimate intention is to see Jesus reflected in who we are. And then absolutely in our resources and our security, now we have a new way to approach that and make decisions about what we do and how we use the things that God has entrusted us for his purposes and for his calling. And this happens and is experienced in prayer. Many of us in this room and many on live stream today, we inherited this current project. There are a few across the room that were here when the decision was made over 20 years ago to purchase new land and to remove this ministry operations from this confined and difficult location into a more open and expansive location. Many of us came in after the fact, and we began praying. I know personally, when I became pastor of the church, I had to spend an extensive amount of time just praying. I had to answer the question in my mind, is this project going to become my project. Other people had purchased the land. Other people had set forth the intention. Other people had set forth the vision, but I had to make a decision. Will this become my vision? Everyone who has joined this church over the last 20 years and those who are with us this morning that are contemplating, and I've talked to several people already this morning that are planning to join our church, we have to pray through and ask the same question. Is this our vision? Will we take this? It's, it's literally much like the proverbial father who establishes a business and hopes that his sons take over the business and hopes it moves from dad's company to dad and son's company or dad and daughter's company. Will we adopt what those who've gone before us and will we make it ours? And I personally don't think we've made that decision. I know I could not have made that decision. I know Carrie could not have made that decision if we hadn't have spent extensive time praying. And when we pray, God rocks the house. It's a little hard for us to understand, but that one phrase in verse 31, the place where they were assembled was shaken. I I can't even explain, and most Bible scholars can't explain exactly what took place. The closest physical understanding we have would be something equivalent to like an earthquake. We believed literally it is it was shaken. Literally, the foundation began to move. Literally, the beams began to shake. Literally, God was dynamically moving in that moment. Most of us may or may not, probably have not experienced something like that it would be unnerving for us because we tend to immediately respond with our physical minds, that is our minds that are focused only on the immediate physicality and we forget who the owner is and we immediately assume I need to do something. They decided God needed to do something. They prayed, asked God to do something and now God is demonstrating, I heard your prayers in a way that you can't miss it. You know, I spent the last 14 years Virtually every single morning, driving past our property, parking on that property, and praying for this vision, praying for this project. And it became my vision, and it became my project. And now, now that we're just a month away, just literally, I think, five weeks away from groundbreaking, um, I have to go over there and still pray. Because prayer is what rocks the ministry. What we accomplish... Life change, like Natalie's, doesn't happen by our own power. Her parents have done an excellent job in raising her. I'm personal friends with them. I know them personally. I can say that. Her church has done an excellent job of supporting and encouraging and teaching her. But ultimately, when she made that decision this summer to believe in Jesus, it was the power of the Holy Spirit working in her. God changed her with all that we did to try to assist in that, and sometimes in spite of what we did to try to assist in that. God is the one who changes. We can do nothing of any significant magnitude without the power of Christ. And so we pray. The very first thing we did is we started into this series. We give you prayer cards. And if you don't have one or you've lost it or you want another one for another desk or another table or another nightstand, um, feel free. They're, I know they're in the back at the at the greeter's desk. And I think there's some actually in some of the side um, pamphlet holders in all the lobbies. Uh, there's a copy of the timeline online. Just go to firstbaptistchurchtomball.org and look up Let's Go. And it has all the information in there. We need to pray. We challenged all of our small group leaders weeks ago to spend time, to schedule time, to go out to the property and pray. In the next few weeks, we're gonna tape out the outline of the building, maybe some of the internal rooms, and you'll have an idea exactly where the placement is on the property. If it's a nice, beautiful day, You can go out there, you can actually walk out to where the building's going to be placed, where the first phase is happening. You can walk beyond that to where other phases and the future of the church continues to go, and you can pray. You can go to the pavilion if it's raining, and you can stay in there and uh, be covered and have shelter. But pray. I'm challenging every small group in this church. Sunday morning Bible studies, weekday Bible studies, Ministry groups like deacons and choir and worship teams, ladies' ministry, men's ministry, children's ministry. At some point in the next few weeks, go to the property and pray. Let's let God shake this place because his people are seeking him. Which then prepares us for the unity that's experienced in verse 32. I love this phrase. I love the way Luke describes what he's watching in this congregation. Now, the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead, they held everything in common. One of the greatest experiences being the pastor of this church is watching people who are of one heart and one mind. You can look at our core values and see exactly how it's written and how it's described, or you can just experience it. You can come on a Sunday. You can come experience it even through live stream, and you can see how this is a place that values and gives itself for authentic relationships. We don't want to simply be friendly. We want to be friends, and we are. You can come to anything that takes place on campus, anything that takes place anywhere, and you'll hear beautiful scripture read just as Victoria did this morning for us in the service, just as I'm teaching from the scripture. And you'll know this is a place that takes biblical authority and our biblical compliance, our compliance with scripture very seriously. You can tell that we understand and we believe and we, we want everyone to experience a personal living relationship with Jesus. We share these things in common. And as a result, God melds our hearts together and gives us that sense of distinction and vision and drive for what he wants to accomplish. And the question typically is, in most prayer meetings around here, what do you want us to do? How does the Lord want us to move? And how do we now come along and join And be a part of that. Because it's not just unity in and of itself. It's not just that it's a happy place. It's a resource unity. People help one another. I have the distinct advantage of being here and looking out at all of you. And if you were in this position, you would look over and you would see an individual who has had cancer treatments for the majority of the spring and summer. And their Sunday school class, their Sunday morning Bible study has given them rides every week to the medical center so that they could continue their treatments. And all the while they're taking them to the medical center, they're praying that God will heal. I look out here and I can see somebody who went through an extremely difficult time, unemployment, possibly going to lose their house and their church. Specifically, our deacons stepped in and said, no, we want to do all we can to prevent that. Let's work together on this. I can see people who wondered whether or not coming to church was going to be a pleasant experience. And maybe it's the first time they've ever been to church. Maybe it was the, maybe it's the first time they've been to church since they were significantly hurt by another church someplace. Because it happens. Let's just be honest. It happens. And we carry church baggage with us. But yet when they arrived in the lobby, they were greeted. I was with one of those families when they were greeted. And literally overwhelmed within about five minutes, they had over a dozen people said, I'll be your best friend. They didn't believe it. But two months later, they're in this service and they believe it because their best friends at church have walked them through the difficulty of divorce and separation and heartache. I can see people in this room that received phone calls this past week because they had a birthday. And their Bible study teacher or their Bible study director, and in many cases, some of us on staff, called and just simply said, happy birthday. Is that important? I think so. Because ultimately, it's a recognition of what God has done. We're told in scripture that we are the pinnacle. We are the equinox. We are the best of all creation. And as much as I love dear Yeah, to look and to eat. Um, As much as I love it, there is nothing more beautiful than the people God has designed. We're told that. We're told that even angels are jealous because they don't receive grace like we do. They just keep following orders. And if they don't follow the orders, they're separated out for all eternity. We receive grace. We know what it is to have forgiveness. That's what happens in a resourced unity. It's not just a happy place. It's not just a fun time, but it is a place that is dynamically changed by the presence of God. And so whatever those resources are, they become shared resources, which I'm calling, if you're on the notes on the YouVersion app, redirected generosity. Down in verse 34, for there is not a needy person among them because all those who owned even houses or land, sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, soda filled he owned, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Osteady defines the moment. And we're in the middle of one of the largest, if not the largest generosity moments in the 114 year history of our church. When each and every one of us is being challenged and called upon to participate in one degree or another. And I like, I don't understand, but I like the way Barnabas laid laid his gift at the feet of the apostles not because, so don't panic. I'm not asking anybody to get up from where you are and come up here and lay it down on the platform. But we are asking in that same kind of tradition of the Bible to make a commitment.